Welcome back to another episode of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. My name is Mike, also known as the Used Book Guy on YouTube, along with my friend and fellow full-time reseller, Johnny B. We help people start and grow their reselling businesses from the ground up. We also have a weekly Zoom call and private Discord for all YouTube members. Head on over to youtube.com backslash usedbookguy to join the channel and gain access to the full-length podcast, Zoom call, and private Discord today. Let's get into this week's episode. What is up, everybody? Welcome into episode 24 of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. Myself, Johnny B, and we have a special guest today, another J name, uh, Jared here. He is a full, well, part-time, looking to be full-time CD seller. So his primary focus is selling CDs. You know, me and Johnny B are, you know, heavily into books and a little bit into other media, but it's going to be cool to see the insight of somebody that's primary focus is a different type form of media than books. So we're going to let Jared introduce himself, kind of give you a little bit of insight on him and his business, and we'll just go from there. So what's up, Jared? Hey, everybody. Appreciate you guys having me on to talk about CDs a little bit. Um, my name is Jared Smith. I'm from Indiana. I'm like, like Mike said, I'm a part-time uh, CD seller. We're looking, we're refining processes and then we'll go full time. So um, I was a collision center owner for 20 plus years. I still do uh, emergency vehicles. So that's my full time gig, the part time disc based media. So CDs, DVDs, Blu rays, but 95% of it is all CD. So I'm curious, like, how did you like? Give me the origin story. Like, how did you, you know, when did you have the epiphany? Like, hey, I want to try selling disc media. You know, like like a lot of people, I got into eBay as, you know, just kind of a side hustle. I, I'd done body shop stuff so long. And honestly, it's not real good for your health. So I, so I thought, you know, maybe I could just play around with eBay and make a little side money. Maybe I could turn it into something. Maybe not. So um, I'm one of those people that just likes to stay busy all the time. Um, started out like a lot of people do, dabbled in clothes, shoes, just whatever you found at the thrift stores. I had a really high return rate on clothes back then. And nowadays that I've learned a lot more, it's probably more process than it was anything because we know some really um, skilled clothing sellers that do very well. So it was probably more um, operator error than, than anything. So, uh, I just, I'd seen some people that had sold CDs and I thought, well, it's kind of interesting. And I went to a uh, flea market one day and it was um, more like an antique booth. And there was all these CDs there one day. So I, I started looking at them and I'd already sold books on Amazon. I, you know, I did some FBA books. I did, um, did a little bit of books, not too much on eBay, but so I had a scanning app. So I pick up a CD and I start scanning a couple of them and I start hitting $50 CDs. You know, it's $50 CD, $60 CD, $100 CD. I'm like, I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like, surely this can't be real. And I just happened to stumble across the guy was an auctioneer and it was somebody's whole collection that he got. So there was a bunch of um, kind of rare, valuable, like, is it Klaatu? the band and there were some odd moody blues and stuff like that. And it was just super valuable. So I bought, I, I, I probably blew 200 bucks that day and they were all between like two and $4 a piece. So I blew probably about 200 bucks. I went home, started uh, doing even more research. It started listing them like the first night, like $200 plus CDs sold like the first night they were on. And I was like, I'm going back. <laughs> so I, I I went back and I basically cleaned his um, booth out of every valuable CD that was like basically twenty dollars and up, and my mark just kept going down. Like I think the the first day I went back, it was like, all right, I'll buy anything that's you know thirty dollars and up, and I you know I come back and start listing all this stuff, and man, it's just selling like crazy. I couldn't believe it. Like, so then it was like, well, I guess I'm going back for everything that's 20 bucks. Like, you know, so then, you know, I went back and rated it again and it finally just kept going down to where I'd pick, I'd picked everything out of it. So then um, I was already in Chris Lynn from Daily Refinement. I was already in his group anyway. And I talked to him about it on a, like on like a private chat. And I'm like, man, what do you think of this? 
So we did a little research and he's just like, man, this, I, I think this could work. Like, I think you got a viable business model and we've just kind of been running with it ever since. So. That's uh, it's pretty crazy. Like you kind of just, you know, stumbled upon this one day and all of a sudden you're like, I'm never listing another polo shirt again in my life. Um, it's, it, it, it's funny because like a lot, like, I guess like Amazon, you start with books, eBay, you start with clothing, but it's almost like the opposite. Cause I feel like clothing on eBay is really hard compared to books on Amazon, like clothing on eBay, you have to have like a passion for fashion, I guess, because sitting there and listing that stuff and just understanding, you know, all the different styles. It's just, I was in the same boat as you when I started eBay. I had no damn clue what I'm listing with these shirts and, you know, these shoes, uh, Mary Jane buckles, all this kind of stuff. I had no idea. I was like, at the first chance I could get to get out of that, I was like, all right, I'm run running for the door. I'm out of here. So, yeah, you kind of just stumbled upon it, which is it's pretty crazy. It's weird how life works sometimes. You kind of can just, you know, just walk into some of these opportunities and they can be life changing, kind of like the one you have. So, like, CDs, disc media. Uh, I guess like when, once you got into that, did you just say, Hey, I'm just going to stay focused. Did you shut down your other part of the business? Like kind of quickly, or like, did you slowly transfer over? It was a pretty fast transfer. So the only thing I kept really going other than the disc based stuff was I was still doing FBA books. I was, I was fairly heavy in FBA books for quite a while. So, but I was a library cell sourcer. And I kind of kept that going all the way up until the time of COVID. So I had probably, I don't know, three or 4,000 in inventory. Um, and then when COVID hit and the lot, we lost the library sales, that's basically when my book business died off. So I lost my sourcing and with my other business, I, I just didn't have time to um, just kind of beat the thrifts constantly to be able to get the inventory I needed. So, and obviously you, at the very beginning of all that, you weren't doing personal pickup buys and all that kind of stuff. So I just, I basically use that as my cue to step away. So. It's a, it's uh it's, it's pretty crazy to think, you know, like 3,000, 4,000 books and inventory is like no small feat, right? We could sit here and just talk about it like it's nothing, but that's a lot of profitable books, right? You're only sending in profitable items. So uh, you were, you were pretty knee deep in the thick of it and, you know, just to deciding to kind of switch it up and just I think it kind of hits on, you know, what we kind of been chasing this year is having a business that you're never going to have to change again, regardless of what happens uh, in like the economy and in the world, you know, another, anything ha happens. I'm curious, like for your main sourcing, do you source like mainly online now, or is it, are you still going out in person now and then, or like, what are you doing nowadays? All book buys. So I, I buy Gaylords. I left, I left into a source probably right about a year ago. And the guy kind of had just the ultimate plug of being able to buy from a um, place that liquidated libraries. So I kind of niched down even further and probably 80% of the stuff I list now is the X library. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. I never thought I would mess with much X library stuff because it can affect the value. But the thing a lot of people miss with X library is the fact that some of this stuff has been in a collection for the last 30 years. So you can find some really rare stuff. It's, it's not uncommon to pull hundred dollar plus CDs out of a box of library stuff. That's been, you know, it's, it's been in a library collection for, you know, 20, 20 plus years, you can find some really rare stuff. So um, it can be, it can be quite valuable. I'm curious, like just overall condition wise, because uh, with libraries, like the condition of books sometimes can be really good or they can just be completely destroyed with all like the library stickers and everything. Like, do you kind of see like a, a condition problem or is it usually better because it hasn't really been open and played because I don't know, you think of a library, right? You don't think people go into, you know, take out CDs to listen to. Yeah um condition is is a big factor so and it, it's funny that it really depends on the library like i've had really bad luck out of chicago library the chicago public library a lot of times it looks like people use the cds to skate on so i think they they ride them down the sidewalks and you know 
do their best moonwalk on them or I don't know what they're doing to them, but you know, a lot of times they're, they're horrible. So you do get, you do get a lot of, um, you do get a lot of trash when you're buying it with any bulk, with any bulk buy. That's the problem with bulk is there's lots of trash, but it's, it's super high depending on the library. Um, we do get a lot of stuff that's blasted with stickers, but we just disclose it. And, you know, collectors looking for that rare CD, they don't care. Like there's sometimes we get stuff that there's just none on the market. So they, they could care less. They just want the recording. So. Well, you mentioned um, doing FBA books. Do you do FBA CDs as well as eBay or? Yeah, I do a little bit of FBA CDs. I um, I do merchant uh, fulfilled CDs. I use a I use a software, so my software will cross list between eBay and Amazon Merchant Fulfilled. So we just opened uh, a Libris integration into it, so we'll be we'll be live on there in probably another week. So I probably only have I haven't looked lately, but maybe three four hundred in FBA inventory. So I don't, I don't focus on it too much. My processes are so, are, I've been working to streamline the processes so much for the uh, eBay merchant and merchant fulfilled side that it's almost easier sometimes for me just to not even worry about a secondary scan to see if it should go FBA and just sell it merchant. Maybe it's a couple dollars less, but speeds, yeah. speeds a factor. We have a couple guys in our group. They're pretty CD focused, heavy. What tools would you advise for them to start looking into? Tools as far as cleaners, or tools as far as software, or yes, all tools. Oh, all tools. Um, software is a big part of my business. I, I'm really software heavy, and I, me and me and Johnny, I host the media. I'm calls. pretending I don't know you here, so there's that. And right, I know I'll, that he knows them. So I'm just sitting here like, yeah, Johnny doesn't know this guy. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm letting the cat out of the bag that I happen to know Johnny because I, I host a me I host a media call in uh Chris Lynn's uh reseller Nirvana group. I'm the media call host. So and I'm I'm lucky to have Johnny come in to our call. He's there pretty much every week. So I field a lot of um antiquarian style book questions go right to Johnny because I'm I'm like I said FBA bookseller and I was hitting library sales so that means I'm a book scanner not a book expert so I could find I could find you money but it wasn't <laughs> you know it wasn't for her knowledge of books yeah. so uh, I'm just I'm disclosing that but um as far as my my software is because I, I use software to buy my time back so I want to be as efficient as possible, as quickly as possible, because I'm trying to scale this business while I still have my other business. So, and I don't, I don't, I don't keep it shy that in a part-time business, I've done over a hundred thousand in sales on eBay and Amazon this past year in a, in a part-time scenario, but that's just by being able to utilize software. That's why I feel it's important. So I, I give Johnny uh i give him hell all the time about not using software and doing everything manually but honestly his is the most thorough best way to do it mine software can cause mistakes so i always i always advise people be very cautious when you when you go to a software like make you sure you're me not a couple times just to go straight up software i won't lie i've been very tempted yeah you gotta you gotta for one you gotta be willing to spend quite a bit of money um don't go to the cheapest software because the biggest thing for people to remember is your business is in their hands so you need customer service you need the guy that has developers that are willing to work in the middle of the night to fix a problem uh, um, somebody that's willing to give you a phone number to text them like when you see a problem in your software like one of the head developers of the software i use i, I text him like Hey man, I just got kicked out of the program. I'll send him a screenshot of the error code or whatever happened and the dude's on it. So that's, that's worth a bunch of money to me. 
So I'm not sh I'm not shy to spend money on software. Um, just like the book guys, you got you got to have a scouting app for being out in the field. Um, so that's how I feel on software. But other than that, I don't my my listing software has my repricer built into it. They do all of it. So I don't have to I don't have to price it. I don't have to worry about repricing it. I don't I don't have to worry about the integration between eBay and Amazon and double selling and all that kind of stuff. Their their system's so high tech in a little over a year I've double sold one item and that was when Olivia Newton John passed away. Her CD was selling everywhere and it sold within they they tracked it down and it sold within like two and a half minutes. It sold on both platforms. So I can't fault them for that. The APIs don't even update fast enough to be able to catch it. So it, all right. They you, really got, you got my mind running here. So you your software reprices uh your inventory. So it actually will reprice your eBay inventory as well. You can set it like that. I actually run a little different model on my eBay side. What I do is my my software prices my items initially. I don't even I don't price it. I don't look at it. I don't I don't research them. I don't do anything. It'll initially price it. Say it's you know I, I my bottom floor is like seven sixty basically onto Amazon. So, so we'll just use seven sixty. It'll price it onto eBay at seven sixty. I'll run a promotion on eBay to bring it down a little bit closer to actual market value on eBay, and then I have the repricer shut off on the eBay side. So that way I can control the eBay side via promotions, coupons, et cetera. So. All right. So now, now I'm going to ask for your process here, right? So I show up, I got a Gaylord of, we'll say, you know, just CDs in general, right? So Gaylord shows up at your door, CDs, walk me through like exactly like how you go from Gaylord to listed and shelved. When I have raw Gaylords where they're just thrown in there, I basically do like everybody. I I actually use like a milk crate. I I start picking I start picking them up out of there, and I set a table up next to it, and I get them stacked up. I'll do I'll do the, on the table. I'll have everything stacked up. I basically transfer them to boxes, and they go right to the listing area. Are you listing basically everything that has a disc in that Gaylord? Basically. Now, here's, your here, here's the other caveat to it is we've implemented testing now. So they're actually at the per listing station, you will be testing every disk. So, and computer programs are testing them all. So what I want is it to be tested so I know there's no critical errors on the CD. There's no deep scratch that may be into the data, whatever. So it goes from there. If I know that it's past testing, it's right to the listing area. I don't care if Amazon says it'll never sell. I don't care. It's getting listed. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna give the CD a shot because you know what we've all found out. Whether it's books or a DVD or a CD, Amazon can say that things never sold here and that it's worth nothing. But there may be a customer waiting for it on eBay. It's just a different customer base. So. I'm not concerned with the value of it. Um, with all high volume media, the the whole trick to making money is to get the multi-quantity order. So I get a lot of people that will come in. It's like kid CDs. I had some about a week ago. They were new sealed, cases cracked. Um, Amazon said none of them would ever sell. I listed them anyway. With, within a week, they sold on eBay. And somebody bought like four or five of them all in a group. Every CD they bought, according to software, said they would never sell. But they all sold together. So they ended up, and they, were, they weren't high value by any means. They were only like $7, $8, $9 CDs. So, but I ended up making about five bucks a piece, roughly, off of them. So I'm willing to take that chance. And worst case scenario, the software is, is smart enough that... I can basically run a report that says, show me everything that's 18 months old. It'll give me a pick list. I can go into the inventory area, pick every item that's 18 months old. And if I wanted to, you could just throw it away. Do you have like a process, like say if it's uh, say if it comes back critical error, 
well, you know, maybe it's, well, I guess you're really, you don't even get, you, so you don't even know if the CD's worth it then. Do you like resurface any of the discs? Uh, I resurface every disc before it leaves. Every disc? Every disc gets cleaned before it leaves. Do you have like a super duper JFJ or like, what do you, what are you using here? Cause we're all out here with the JFJ Easy Pro doing one at a time and we know it can take a lot of time. Yeah. Hey man, you can't, I'm the biggest advocate for JFJs there is. I, I've argued with so many sellers over the, over a JFJ. Like we've had people come into the calls and try and say that machine's garbage. I'll never use that. I bought one. I tried to use it one time and it messed my CD up and all this, but. They just don't know how to use it. That machine, that machine's great. Like I, that's uh, that's I where we recommend everybody. What's that, buddy? I um, I'm not good like with figuring things out. My JFJ look kind of like what you're saying. I've never had any issues with it at all. Um, I don't know what people are doing or anything, but I'm in the same boat as you. People give me you know flack about like, hey, you know this thing sucks. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you can literally. I'm curious. Do you run like the disc in there for like the maximum amount of time or like, cause I'm down to 20 seconds. I can put it in there for 20 seconds and it gets all the scratches out usually that I need to get out. So I, I when I started, I was a two minute guy, everything two minutes. Now I'm a 20 second guy. I'm just curious, you know, what you're doing. Yeah. When um my JFJs are now backup machines, um just because I've bought bigger, you know, bigger machines that can process more, more discs, but they're not coming off my shelf. Because those things always run, and they do a good job, like you said. Right. And uh, the only thing I really changed is when I'm sanding, I added a step. Since I come from the body shop world, I added a sandpaper to mine, which is a which is a 3M Trizac 3000 grit. So, like say we had something really rough, and you have your coarse 600, then you go 1200, and then normally you would go to a buff on a JFJ. I basically put another pad in, put the 3000 grit, a little bit of water, um, let it, let it run for 20, 30 seconds like that, and then switch over to the buffing. And I changed the compound over. So I didn't have to do how JFJ has two compounds. I switched it to where I have one and I used a car. It's basically a car polish is what it is. So and then I'll put it on. If it, if I've resurfaced all the way down to 600, then I'll let it run for one minute on the polish. And you pull it out and it's it's new. So, so just to give some people an idea of what a part-time CD seller lists today and also what you think he would list once you convert over to full-time, if you can give us some numbers there. I know the answer to this. But... Yeah. Um, my... My goal has been up and down a little bit lately, and that's just because we've been implementing the testing. So my goal for a while, I had moved up to 250 is where it went to. Right now, I've backed it down to 100. So Now that's a day, correct? Yes. Yeah, that's a day. Yeah. So, And that's because I'm utilizing software. Right. The software is where all the speed comes from. Now, when I was doing... Um, all manual listings. I stuck myself at 30 for a long time when I was strictly just eBay CDs. I did 30 a day. And then when I knew I had all my processes kind of refined and could clean the CDs in ample time and be able to get them out on time, I went to 50. And that was, it, it didn't take too long. Probably mm -hmm. it, was, it was two and a half hours. I think I could do 50 in about two and a half hours. Not, yeah, not stressful. That's great. So once all the kinks were worked out and all your processes refined and you decide, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on full time. How many a day do you think you would want to do, could do? Um, I'm, well, my, my plan, we're almost done with the testing system. Um, I'm not a big technical guy. So I think I'm the problem. I'm the problem on getting the testing system done right now. There's four machines for, uh, testing machines running, but we're going to move it to eight. When when eight's done and my big CD cleaner is back up, I'm jumping right back to 250. I'm going to hold 250 for probably maybe maybe two months or so. And then we're just going to put we're going to put the gas down and probably go to 500. 500 so, a day. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the goal. So.
I'm going to clear my name now and say one day of listing, you have more eBay listings than I do. All right. So uh, I accept defeat in that category and aspect of my life, but I'm curious, right? So, all right. So you got your listing software. We all know with CDs, it's only, you know, maybe 50% of them actually have the scannable UPC barcodes. Now, like, how does that work if it has like the, those like club edition barcodes or like no barcodes? Because personally for me, I think uh, the CDs that you got a cover scan with Amazon are actually really profitable because nobody else does it. I'm curious, like, what's the process for like you if it doesn't have a scannable barcode, like with your listing software? Um, as I'm in the workflow, since I'm trying to go fast, they basically get set on the table next to me. When I scan it and it doesn't pop up, set right on the table next to me. When I get to my listing goal, I get those done. I pick that pile up. And most of the time, it's old school punch. Just type the type the title right into Amazon, pull up the ASIN, copy the ASIN, and just transfer it right over into the uh, software. That's usually how it goes. Now, we're also working, the software I use has a recognition system in it because they also do fully automated lines. So you can basically uh, set a webcam up and it's kind of like the seller app where it'll just recognize what it is. That's the next move. Oh so. yeah, I mean, that'll I mean that'll even take you to the, the next level. You can just throw them under there. You don't even really gotta worry about doing anything. That's, that's pretty crazy yeah. to think about how like you're doing this part-time, but I would argue that your processes are a lot better than, you know, 98% of resellers out there and you're only putting in, you know, part-time effort. And it's like, it's almost like you want to refine the process and then you'll take the business where it needs to go, where it's almost the opposite way for a lot of people where they want to go, go, go. And their processes are completely broken from the top to bottom. That's, that's exactly right. My, I, I'm, I'm waiting. My goal was, uh, the goal became basically I wanted to be able to net a hundred thousand part time before I went full time because I know if I can net a hundred thousand part time you can easily you can easily double and triple that so that that was the goal so I need I, honestly I need to be about two hundred twenty five thousand or so in sales to do that number so where are you where are you keeping all these damn cds at man you got to have like a huge you know five thousand square foot warehouse i mean but then again cds are not that big right so you can store a lot of them i'm curious like what's your uh, storage setup do you have that's, just like a room that's the beauty of cds they're so small um i actually back when i had a collision center um i still have my shop is where i work on my cars because I'm a, I'm a truck guy so i build trucks and you know race trucks and low rider trucks and all this kind of stuff. So I actually, I keep the bulk part of the media over there. I have, I bought some pallet racking and I've got a forklift and all that. So we keep the mass of it over there. And then I'm actually split. We're the, the big goal is to, we're going to put an addition onto the building over there and then everything will be in house at the warehouse eventually. But right now I actually store at another house we bought we bought a second house and one of the bedrooms is where i store my inventory at just to kind of we're just trying to get it out of our house because i don't my house is small my house is probably thousand square foot so i had one of my biggest rooms was dedicated to my ebay inventory so we ended up taking it out of there was the only reason but you you can literally have a 12 by 12 bedroom with some shelves in it and you can have, I think you could pretty pretty easily have a 15,000 item store in there. So, and then where I'm at right now is just basically my living room. So I prefer to list here just because I'm at home. When the wife comes home, I'm here. I got two dogs that are normally running around acting crazy. I'd like to be able to be at home and spend time here. So I like to list here. So... So listing the amount you're listing, and I and I didn't realize this until I started attending your media call. What does that do to your shipping? Can you talk about shipping at listing at that scale and what that does to you? It's horrible. <laughs> no, it's um it, it's one it's one of the bottlenecks. 
So like a lot of media sellers, I clean CDs after they sell because you don't want to invest all the money it costs us. And, um, you know, even if you're using a JFJ, you know, expensive pads, polish, sandpaper, all that stuff, it all adds up. So you don't want to pre-clean every CD, not unless you have a small operation. So I clean at time when they're going to go out. So it can make shipping quite hectic. When I was running 250, I had one time where I shipped on Saturday morning and I pulled my order report on Monday morning and I had like 170 or 180 going out and uh, it was bad. <laughs> it was so bad. Like I mean, I it complained was, about 30 or 40, but 150, I can't even, ouch. Yeah, my machines are just back there humming. Like I, I literally spent the entire day uh, shipping. And I had to run my post office closes at seven. I showed up at like, I think I went over there like six 30 with, you know, I'm just carting boxes in of all these CDs and they're, they're just, you know, their eyes are this big and they're like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> like what happened? Like you used to just bring in like 30, 40, like, I'm like, well, we put, we put the gas down. So we're starting to sell a bunch. And I was like, I'll be back in a little while. She's like, you gotta be kidding me. So I had to rush back home. And then that night I shipped, I, I think I shipped all the way up till probably midnight. It was hours and hours of shipping. It was my entire day. So that's when I started to back back off of the gas because I realized my bottleneck. So, you you know, anybody that's scaling, um, it's nice because when you when you kind of put your foot down, you, you start to learn all those bottlenecks in your business and they, they seem to appear real quick. So you gotta be, you gotta be super careful. You gotta be ready to take your foot back off the gas immediately. And at that time, I think I even put my store on vacation mode, like just to try to stop it. Cause I knew what was happening. You don't want those defects. You don't want, um, out of stock, um, just late shipments like crazy because when you're selling large quantity, all it takes is two days and you can lose top rated seller. So we had the power out a couple of weeks ago and I, I mean, my foot's off the gas and I had like 50 orders or something to go out. Uh, power's out, internet's out. It's out at the other house. It's out at the warehouse. There was basically nothing that, you know, I called eBay and I'm like, guys, there's nothing I can do. These, these orders aren't going to go out. What I've got shipped now is all that's, headed out and I went I dropped to like 97 percent uh tracking uploaded and validated in in one day so all it takes is a second day when you're you're at scale and you might be losing top rated seller and then six percent you know you get the six percent fee for not being uh being below standard basically so you gotta be super careful for sure Anytime you're scaling. That's crazy. Like just thinking about like, you know, we get overwhelmed by, you know, 20, 30 orders. You got a 170 CDs you got to find. And I can admit here, I am, I am now like you. I do not clean the DVDs or CDs until I sell them. I used to do it like once, you know, oh, before I list it or while I'm listing it, clean them. But now I, I guess, you know, just words of wisdom somehow came to me and I'm in the same way as you now, I guess it doesn't make sense to clean it until it sells. And people will say, Hey, well, what happens if you can't get the scratches out? Well, I've never ran into that with, uh, with my JFJ, even if it's a pretty beat up scratch, usually you can always get it out. And, uh, I really don't worry about that. I think that's just, you just trying to overthink something a little bit. And I think it is smarter to just clean it when it sells, because, you know, you, you spend the time when you have to, and it's a, it's a whole process. So now say, Hey, all right, you, you get your 150 orders for the day, you stack them up. Now, before you throw them in the JFJ, I know you say you clean all of them. Now, what happens if you flip this disc over and it's brand spanking new? Are you cleaning that or are you just cutting it loose? It's new. No, I'm, I'm wiping it off and sending it down the road. So, so, I mean, if it's got nothing to clean on it, maybe it's got a fingerprint or something on it. I actually use a quick detailer spray from a from cars. I have one that you, you got to watch those two caveat to that. You got to watch those because some of those are very oily, um, but find one that's not quite oily. Um, Wizards makes, makes a good one. I like a lot of the wizard products in our body shop. 
So I, I just hit it with that spray, microfiber, wipe it off, send it down the road. Do you have any employees like Johnny or no? Do you, pl do you plan on having any? Eventually. Okay. I now, have to you, have my process process has got to be a hundred percent. Now, do you kind of want to be like Johnny where you grow it to a point where you kind of can step back from the business and, you know, kind of just show up and make sure things are running the way they're supposed to, or like, do you want to stay kind of knee deep in it? Um, I'd like to eventually be able to step back a little bit, but I'm kind of a control freak. Even in my body shop when we had employees and everything, I, I always made sure I was very aware of what was going on. Covering, yeah. yeah. I gave them space. I'm not right. too bad. But believe me, I, I knew what was going on, to say the least. So, but yeah, my, I'm actually, I actually have a plan for that. And that's going to come this summer. My wife's a teacher. So my plan was is to refine my processes, get everything done before she goes on summer break. And then I'm basically going to give her the plan, give her the SOP. This is how we do it. See if she can do it. I know if she can jump in there and do it and have no issues, and she can turn the same product as me, then I'm at the point to where I can throw people at it. So, because if I throw them at it too early, all I'm doing is paying people to create problems in my business. So, oh, so I forgot about your, your disc cleaning question too, sorry. The JFJs became the backup. I use, I have two Azura Dual Disc 2 machines that are tabletop machines that clean two at once. I have two of those in the back. And then over at my big shop, we have a old, it's from Disco Technologies. They, they had a machine called a Mech 6, and that's what Netflix and those guys used. So you load 100 into it. It's fully automated. So, I'm just get a time. Sounds great. Yeah. And that machine, I've actually been in contact with the guy that owned that company because that company got bought out by Elm, which everybody knows Elm, you know, Eco Pros and the Auto Smarts and the Master Machines. His company actually got bought out by them. So I've been in contact with him on, like, I've never had like service manuals for that machine. So it's always been a little temperamental. So hopefully with his help now, I'm going to have it back online for this for maybe springtime, I'll have it all the way sorted out. And then that's really what's going to be able to accelerate the business quite a bit. If I can throw 100 in there, it spits them out. Then, How long does it take to clean 100 on that thing? It has different settings. If you were just doing very light, like clean it, light scratches, that thing, that thing can do 180 in an hour. Yeah. Wow. It's it's an it's an unreal machine, like so. So I'm gonna get technical with you for a sec because I don't even know if everybody in our group realize what this actually means. But can you talk about disc rot for a moment? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm Maybe quite. A I, I'm quite experienced on disc rot at the moment. So um, disc rot basically happens when um. CDs have been stored for a long time, and, and especially not in climate-controlled units. Uh, disc rot can occur, and it's basically the chemicals reacting, and the CD is basically eating itself from the inside out, is layman's terms on, on how it works. So, because all the chemicals that are in there, and that's basically a clear resin that's on top of that. So, it's, you know, they basically just drop resin on there, and the machines spin, and it spreads that resin out is the actual coating that you're sanding and buffing. So disc rot is when the chemicals that were originally used in it, down below that layer, they start to react from heavily from climate, climate going up and down, heat, cold, heat, cold, heat, cold, um, which we all have to deal with because that's the reality of um, video games, DVDs, all that stuff. When people get done with it, like you had a PS3 and you went to a PS4, you put your PS3 and you put all your games in a box and it went in the garage or it went in the attic or something like that. So these things are starting to come out of storage and it, they're basically eating themselves. So what you're looking for is basically like dots. If you ever see one, if you flip a CD over and you see a spot on it, sometimes it can be a stripe. Sometimes it can be the whole CD, but you'll look at it and it almost looks like Maybe it's been sitting 
like maybe it was sitting somewhere like with the silver side up and somebody was like maybe they were dusting like they had some pledge or something near it and you get those little spots all over it like that you had to wipe off if you ever have one that looks like that and you like you know maybe you're just testing it and just kind of rub your finger across it and it doesn't remove like be very careful because that could very well be disc rot i was gonna the ask other, you can even see disc rot yeah that's the other side of disc rot too is sometimes on these older cds you have to be cautious because you'll have something that looks like a scratch and you'll put it through the machine resurface it pull it back out and the disc will actually look worse if you ever have one scratch and you pull it out and now you've got three you've got you've got a disc rot problem because it's basically it's the coating underneath that resin that's broke down and it's basically missing at this point so your, your testing will catch it right is that one of the reasons why you started testing every single one yep that's exactly why we implemented testing so uh, uh basically a lot of library stuff is not stored in controlled units and i've seen it from I, i've actually seen it from stuff that hasn't been stored for long times too because honestly we're dealing with cds that can be 30 years old now so i'm you, curious you gotta, you gotta be careful i'm curious uh i pay 20 cents per cd if i'm doing a bulk buy do you think i'm overpaying how big is the bulk buy and maybe they got a box you know they just hit me up on craigslist because that's what i have i pay 20 cents per cd you think that's fair yep yeah yeah that's a good rate so you, right. you figure figure if you're um especially because you're not dealing with shipping you know people that are looking to get into the bulk uh game there's a lot of places you can buy gaylords from but you gotta be careful because the shipping's so high now like it if anybody's trying to go down that trying to go down that avenue the one thing to talk to your broker about is quantity that you need to have a good shipping rate because sometimes it's going to cost you the same amount to ship one Gaylord as it is four, maybe six is the sweet spot. It's all going to depend on your location, the trucking company, the broker you're dealing with. Um, so definitely get a good relationship with them and basically tell them what you're trying to do. Ask questions. Um, be very adamant about asking questions about shipping. Because I know when I was buying Gaylords from a place, it was four was the sweet spot. I, it went up significantly when I went to six, and four was basically the same price as one. So it was worth it for me to, you know, we'll just say they're $150 a piece. Um, I was better off to save my money instead of ha only having 150 to buy one, I was better off to save my money, have 600 to buy four, than my shipping was at the time, normally was about 200 bucks. So, but if I bought one, it was like 150. So why not, why not just buy more? Because the big thing with any kind of bulk stuff is you're, you gotta work off averages. Um, it cost average, average sale prices, you, you got to be on averages if you're dealing with bulk because everybody knows it doesn't matter if it's a book or it's a DVD or it's a CD. You're going to have a lot of stuff in, in, in a bulk buy that's not very valuable. Like that $6, that $6 CD, I mean, we're not going to a Sizzler off a $6 CD. But if we average that in to, with all our home runs too, now we might have an ASP, say it's say you get a lot of like lower end stuff in your bulk buys, but you still get a little bit of home runs. Now you might have a, you might have a $9 ASP at this point. So now when we take our shipping out and our mailer and all that, say that's four. Now we're left with a $5 average profit per item on something that you're basically have less than a minute involved in. So that's kind of how I, I have to judge my CD business. You um you ship all these CDs. I have to know how are you shipping your CDs? Are you polybagging? Are you bubble mailing? Are you what are you doing? I actually have six inch wide bubble wrap. It gets it gets a piece of bubble wrap around it. 
I have an automatic tape machine, so it gets bring it around, piece of tape on each side that holds it to itself, and it goes in a bubble mailer. So you're bubble wrapping and bubble mailering. So you're doing more than I do. So good on you for taking care of the customers. Yeah, then that that's a big part of our repeat business. We actually sell, we can sell like library CDs and plastic cases. Oh library, yeah, yeah. Library printed artwork stickers all stickers all over and markings all over them we can actually sell these for more money than people than pe places like declutter and all that sell very good cds for and it's all customer service resurfacing all the discs we make sure every disc every disc that shows up works we make sure even though that we use a catalog photo because we're using uh software we make sure everything's disclosed in the listing so they get a product. We actually tell them they've been resurfaced. They they get cleaned and all of this. Yeah, and it's it's a pretty boilerplated description, and it's basically they will show light markings that do not affect playback. All all discs are cleaned if needed. That way, in case we get something, maybe maybe it's you know because everything like this, you know, we it's listed in acceptable condition. So. If it's got a few little marks on it, a few little scuffs or whatever, I'm okay with only throwing it on, you know, the, the shortest cycle possible. And maybe it still has a couple little marks on it. I'm okay with that. But it's going to look good. We don't send anything out that looks like people have been skating on it. And we make sure it works 100% for them. So we get a lot of repeat business. And it's enabled us to charge more than other people. So, so as we uh as you like continue to grow here, I know you're saying you're you're getting on another website like uh with this cross listing software. Um, you're not taking uh photos or are you taking photos of each item? It's all stock photos. Yep, all catalog photos. So that's important to know that you know even though he's not taking actual pictures of the actual item, he's still pushing you know over 100k part time, right? So. As uh, much as, you know, me and Johnny B always kind of harp on taking nice photos, you know, everything we do, there's also a different way and yeah. both ways can work. It's just a matter of what, what you really want to do with your business. And, you know, you've probably heard, oh, 250 CDs a day. Well, hey, if the software has already got all the stock photos uploaded and it does everything for you, then, you know, how much of your time are you getting back? Like if we told Johnny B to list 250 books today. It probably take them, you know, a few days. And Jared's like, "Yeah, I'm done, sucker. Beat it. I'm, I'm, I'm off to work." So it just goes to show everybody's business is a little bit different here. So I'm curious, like this software, you're going to keep expanding, right? You want to list on as many platforms as you can because that's kind of how you're going to get the sales in the bulk game. Definitely. And are, and are you like looking at because I've always thought about this and I always talk to Johnny B about it, like maybe having like your own Shopify website where the fees are less, but the traffic really, you have to drive it. Is that like something that's like kind of on your mind? Like, well, maybe I can get less fees. I can, you know, maybe charge a little bit less on my website and, you know, have a whole business over there as well. I, I've thought about that, but the only way I'll consider it is if my software can integrate into it. I don't yeah, want sure. anything I'm going to have to do manual because, you know, as I've said, time you know all this software just it, all it's doing is buying my time back which is which is super important to me um with 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 the discussion of photos taking photos of the actual item is always a better route always you can you can you can command more money by taking good pictures just like you guys tell everybody you know take those quality pictures you're going to command more money than anybody else with that way you're always going to get uh, extra money compared to me so but and i was i used to hate catalog photos our early media calls i was on there like i ain't doing no catalog photos no, no stock photos no nothing that's no way to do it and when i finally made the switch i just realized it's just a different customer set is all it is there's a customer set for everything out there there's we you know we got guys in the group that do disc only they do disc only no tracking like it's shipped with a stamp, like, and he has a, he has a great business. Like he sells a ton of stuff. So, and he, his margins are awesome. So it doesn't, you know, we got everybody from there all the way down to somebody that takes, takes the best photo boxed picture there is, you know, so it all works. There's all, a, there's a customer base for everybody. 
if it shows up they don't like it i got free returns send it back like my my return my return rate when it shows you compared to other people mine's like a, mine's like a less than a third of what other sellers are so do you actually have them send it back or you just tell them to keep it no i have them send it back yeah I, i'm taking a quote from um tech from our group but we don't negotiate with terrorists <laughs> that's a quote from him we don't negotiate with terrorists that's going to be uh, your business your business motto when you get there in your full time it's going to be right outside of the warehouse a real big yeah. sign <laughs> yeah. not negotiate with terrorists because here's the real for everybody people are going to fish for a return I catch people doing that all the time like I, I've, I have no emotion that's one thing I've learned from tech over the years is I have no emotions with a return we offer for a return. Hey, this thing, it, it came out the box and it looked at me funny. No problem. We have free 30-day returns. Please, you know, my my board just says, please package it up like we like we sent it to you. So it so it's uh protected on its way back home. No problem. I'm, uh, I'm the same way. I turn off those uh Amazon return emails you get. Oh, you got a return. I don't care. Like well, I don't want to be bothered. People, I think that's like it's a real that's like a touchy subject here. Now we're gonna get a lot of people ticked off because returns, like people think they're you know, oh man, why are this person returning it? Well, at the end of okay. the day, they can return it's it for fine. anything. Like it's uh it's one of those things you just have to learn to deal with, and it sucks, right? You sell something, you know, maybe it's a fifty dollar CD. And all of a sudden, you know, you you get a return for it. Well, you shouldn't be reliant on that one sale, that the funds from that one sale shouldn't you shouldn't be relying on that anyway. So it's like if you're kind of in that space and you have that mindset, you gotta get out of it, especially with returns. It is what it is. They're gonna happen no matter what. And you just you just move on to the next one. Don't let it beat you up. I mean, it is you're gonna get them. Yeah. So we'll back to your uh Back to your software here. I know yours is rather expensive, and I know some of our people in the group are into or thinking about getting into software themselves. Is there a cheaper one that you can personally recommend? Because I don't know if you want to talk about how much yours is, but it's really expensive. Yeah, I can talk about mine. Mine has a seven hundred fifty dollars a month minimum. Yeah, that's expensive. It's a great which, make, which makes a lot of people. It makes a lot of people choke when yeah. they hear it. Like it's expensive. Yeah. but it, it I bought my time back right. and what I do is how I justified it was I look at it as an employee yeah where I don't I don't know where everybody's from but where are you going to get somebody that shows up and lists your stuff for you for $750 a month your shows up cheaper than my employee so just to, yeah and you list more than me so there's that yeah well and my software doesn't call in it doesn't complain. Yeah. You know, it's never called in sick. So yeah. you, you kind of got to look at it on, on a different light, I believe. So, and there's other softwares out there. Um, there's there's softwares out there that are cheaper, but I won't recommend them because I'm, like I said early on, I'm not trusting my business to the cheapest person. I actually have one software, as Johnny knows, that wants me to work with them. And it's basically like, hey, come over here and it's free. Um, you know, basically kind of help us develop it to be popular. And they want me to be able to pitch it in our media group and all this stuff. And I'm I'm not interested. I pay these other people $750 a month for the minimum. So I, because I my, think my business I, isn't big enough yet. So basically when you're when you're into this software at $750 a month. You're basically good all the way up into probably twenty five thousand a month in sales before you go into a commission based business. Because if people don't know, all these softwares become commission based. They want three percent or whatever the number is. It kind of varies between software to software. So they basically they'll set a minimum price, say it's seven fifty. And then once that will hold you, I can't remember the exact number, so don't quote me, but we'll just use 25,000 for rough guess. Once you hit 25,000, you've already paid more than this, or you're to the value of the 750. And then it becomes basically like 3% or 2.75 or two and a half, depending on what level you're at 
as the more you sell, the tier kind of comes down. So that's how that software actually works. But that's crazy you know, to think about. Just like, you know, a lot of us, you know, we're not even we're not even thinking about getting this software, right? Anybody that's listening to this podcast, we're like, what is, you know, software? Oh yeah, you know, you're going to go get this software. I think the important thing in here though is like you build a business, you secured your sources. The software kind of came in afterwards. I think a lot of people are so quick to be like, hey, what can I get to make my life easier right away? But I think something like what you have in this listing software, it has to be a calculated decision and you have to have all of the other pieces. So when you buy that software, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, $750 might seem like a large investment to somebody today, but in the grand scheme of things, it's really not. And, and the time you get back, like you're saying, you treat it like an employee and you have to have everything else in place before you, you know, you hop on something like this. I say it all the time. These new sellers come along and they need inventory labs, $80 a month. They never even send in their first shipment of anything to Amazon. I'm like, wait a minute, pump the brakes here. You need everything else in place before you sure. These are fine. These are bells and whistles basically. And I think a lot of resellers get caught up with, Oh, well I use this software and I got this fancy piece of equipment and it should be the opposite. You should be grinding it out down, you know, nitty gritty. And then you kind of say, Hey, what can make my life easier? What makes sense for my business? So just because, you know, Hey, Jared's got this software. It's not like, you know, me and Johnny, you're going to get off this call here and go get it right away. Right. Cause it doesn't kind of work with our business currently, but for him, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it, it bought my time back and it's basically an employee for me. But we recommend, you know, people that come into the media call, we recommend, um, I, I tell people, get Turbo Lister. You can get Turbo Lister. It comes with Scoutly. You can have the database system and it's $39 a month, I think. That's with database. You can actually, I still have it because I use Scoutly on my phone and I don't even have database because I don't scan that much anymore, but I still like to have it. And it's ten dollars a month. So yeah, I've used I've software. used and then Amazon shipments. It it works well. So and your your software properly prices things, correct? So say like you know you have your minimum price set at you know seven fifty, uh, but you scan a book. You know, is it is it pulling from like the buy box? Is it pulling from like an average sold price? I'm just curious. It, it's they. This software has the most complicated reply pricer ever. I know bulk sellers, some of like the biggest sellers on Amazon use this software and pay the money strictly for the repricer. It's so complex. It's almost like a series of questions. If, if this is 100,000 rank and below and the e-score is above 40, just for a number, then we're gonna price at buy box and, but maybe we don't want to be the first sale. It's smart enough to know that you, maybe you want to be the second sale. Maybe I want to be 10% over. Like, And then the other caveat to it is you can basically, if you have time to set this repricer up, it can, you can trigger it to know that you've got a Christmas CD. Like it can hold, you can hold your price on it. Say, you know, this Mariah Carey Christmas, you know, we always talk about that one because it always sells at Christmas time. Maybe you, maybe you know that it'll sell for twelve ninety five, but it's going to be the first week of December before it does. You can basically click a button and make it hold your price. So if you just want to hold it at twelve ninety five because you know it'll sell for that, just click the button, set your own price. It'll let you do basically whatever you want. It's it's super intelligent. So or you can just set it to be. I want wildfire sales, be super aggressive, go for the buy box constantly. And it'll just, it'll be, it'll be aggressive. So, and it'll get you every sale you want. All right. So we're, we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to let you take it away. Give advice to somebody that is maybe on the fence or new to starting to sell on Amazon and eBay when it comes to media. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be down to CDs. Uh, just throw, throw some words of wisdom out there for somebody, you know, maybe that's, in your shoes, right? You had a full-time job. You wanted to pick something up part-time. Uh, just throw some words of wisdom out there for the people. Biggest thing, consistency and process. I don't care. If, don't don't be the person that lists 20 items on a Saturday and doesn't list again until next Saturday. If you're dealing with eBay, Amazon, it's a little for your game. But if you're listing on eBay, Make sure you're better off. If you can list 20 items on a Saturday and that's all you have, 
schedule your listings to go live. Schedule them out, make sure it's consistent, whether it's one a day, five a day, 80 a day. Make sure, schedule them out if you've only got the one day, make sure they hit consistently. You're dealing with an algorithm. You're dealing with a computer. eBay doesn't make the decisions and say, says, hey, I don't like Johnny or I don't like Mike today. It's a computer, all it sees is X's and O's. So be consistent and work your process. We don't, ever put, don't ever put your foot on the gas until you have the process. Uh, we're going to have to have you back in like a year when you're full time and like your whole background is just going to be like an endless walkway of just rows and rows of disc media. Yeah, yeah. we can do uh, that. We appreciate you hanging out with us, though. And uh, I mean, I might I mean, you're running the media calls over there. Johnny B's been trying to get me to go over there. I, I might have oh, to dabble in this and, uh, and and get into it. What days are the calls over there? Um, our call will, it's getting ready to move. We've been Thursday forever, but it's getting ready to move to Wednesday evening. So for our media call, but shameless plug, it's, uh, the reseller Nirvana podcast, uh, Facebook group, Patreon group. So, yeah, good, great information well, over there. Johnny B's always plugging it. And, uh, you know, everybody that's really on YouTube, that's a reseller knows Chris and tech, um, and their, their knowledge is priceless. I mean, they've literally, you know, built so many businesses. They really, you can't even put a put an amount on it. How many businesses they help create and people get out of situations they want to be in. But Jared, thanks for hanging out. We will talk to you guys in next week's episode. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. Today's full episode and all previous episodes are available to all YouTube members, along with the weekly Zoom call and private Discord. Head on over to youtube.com backslash the used book guy and consider joining for as little as $2.99 a month.